day, and welcome to Chatting with the Lightkeeper. I'm Edward, and I hope everyone is having a fantastic summer. Or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope you're having an amazing winter. And if you are in the Southern Hemisphere and you happen to be a skier, um, drop me a note. I would love to hear about what skiing is like south of the equator. And the other day, somewhere here in my neck of the woods, there are sometimes those pop-up thunderstorms, which pop up and go through really quickly. However, this one that came through really quickly knocked the power out. And so rather than sit in the dark um, or try and find a flashlight to read, I was bored, opened up the phone, started down a rabbit hole of looking at DS from a person who is brand new and doing what most people do now. Hey, Google, or hey, Siri, or hey, Alexa, tell me about. And in this case, I started down that rabbit hole like I was brand spanking new to the lifestyle. And I went to this site and that site and over here, over there. And I kept coming across 20 of the same questions, kind of over and over that everybody who was newer seemed to be asking. And so I thought, what a fabulous idea for a podcast. Let's let's take a look at these 20 questions, and we can play the game of 20 questions um, and, and answer them here. So that is what we are going to do today. Actually, it's going to be 21, because the most asked question in the whole of the lifestyle is, how do I meet a partner? Um, if you break that down specifically, it's dominant um, mostly dominant gentlemen and the gentleman sausage going on, and they are looking to meet their submissives. Um, and since these gents who are asking this question um, are the heterosexual variety, they are looking for submissives of the female variety. Um, that's the number one question from the number one uh, sexual orientation in the lifestyle um, that, that ask it. Um, so if you are listening and that is your question, how do I find a submissive for my gentleman's sausage? Um, I'm going to advise you to scroll back through some few episodes. Um, it's still in season two of the podcast. It's episode seven and it's called the most asked question in DS. Um, even if you are single and not of the gentleman sausage persuasion, um, it will help answer your questions on finding your your, your partner there. Uh, but the simple answer to that most popular question is get involved, make friends, don't go on a quest to find love. Um, you don't need to bomb every dating site out there or kinky site and, you know, put your personal ad. Um, and if you are a gentleman with the gentleman sausage variety, don't, don't go waving your sausage in the wind. Trust me. Um, the unsolicited dick pic is not the way to make a first impression. So just, just don't. Okay. So now that we've answered the most asked question in the lifestyle, let's, let's enjoy 20 questions of a different variety that I don't think I will be able to say the words gentleman sausage anymore during this podcast. So in that regards, I guess you are very, very lucky. Um, the first one, actually first two, we can kind of co combine into one because they all, they, f they flow together. Um, and obviously it's a very question from a very new person. What exactly is, is DS and how is it different than other kinds of relationships? And that pairs with the next question, which is 
what is the role of a dominant submissive and, and how do they interact in a relationship? Um, so first of all, there's, there's a lifestyle author out there, Chris Lyons, and they wrote a book called Leading and Supportive Love. Um, it's not, not in my top 10 uh, books of recommendation on the lifestyle, but there's one thing that I took away uh, from, from the book that I thought was fantastic. Um, leading and supportive, using those terms instead of dominant and submissive. Because it's easier to understand, especially if you are new or if you're talking to somebody who is a vanilla person and you're trying to explain this concept of DS to them. You have a leading partner and then you have a supportive or supportive partners, or you could have multiple leading partners and multiple supportive partners, depending on how your relationship is structured. Um, but it's a um, consensual leader with a consensual, you know, consenting followers. Um, and the other thing that really kind of differentiates a DS relationship from um, what we are used to or consider the typical vanilla is that there, there is accountability and structure that is put in place in the relationship. And that accountability and structure, because it's consensually done and it's done through the work of, of everyone involved in the lifestyle to create your in that relationship to create that that structure, um, the structure actually can help a submissive feel free, um, take away worries, concerns, um, just allow them to excel in life rather than have to feel pressure to make certain decisions. Certain decisions are taken from them and are taken over consensually by the dominant. So that's that's the big difference between DS and vanilla relationships. And outside of that, you still have all the regular vanilla aspects of a relationship. You know, you still you still want to spend time with your partner. You still do all the things partners do. You still have hobbies. There are still things you do together. It's you it's it's everything that Vanilla people do in a relationship, plus the added benefits of, of DS, um, which leads us into a next question, which is very understandable. Um, is DS something that is inherently abusive? Um, the answer to that, of course, is no. But if you are new or you are a vanilla looking at, especially with the way the joyful media portrays the lifestyle, I mean, even Fifty Shades of Grey or Fifty Shades of Hay, if you're feeling a little saucy, uh, the way it portrays the lifestyle, really, there isn't, like, consent is not part of it. It's just, I don't know, you know, the whip cracks and people do what they're told. And that just isn't how it is. You know, in the relation, you're in the lifestyle, consent, consent, consent. It's so important. Everything happens with consent. And not only that, it's informed consent. It's enthusiastic consent. It is specific consent. Yes, you can do this, but no, you can't do that. It is all revocable. Saying no, stop, safe word, safe gesture immediately revokes consent and everything comes to a screeching halt. In a way, um, I look at it and there are people who disagree, which is fabulous. But when it comes to a lifestyle partnership, it's the submissive that is actually the one wearing the pants, if you will. The submissive has all the power in the relationship. 
and I apologize because the wearing the pants reference is kind of a sexist reference, and, but it came out, so it is what it is. Um, somebody can flog me later. Um, but the submissive has all the power in the relationship because they, at any point and at any time and for any reason, that's what they want. They can say two little letters and boom, with the word no, it all stops. So in my world, the submissive is the almighty and powerful one in a lifestyle partnership. So now we have three questions that kind of all morph together. And so we'll ask the three questions and then we'll, we'll kind of chat about them as one, one entity. Um, so the question is, how do I determine if a DS relationship is right for me and my partner? The next question that, that parallels that is, how do I approach my partner about exploring DS dynamics, um, especially if they're unfamiliar or maybe they're hesitant about it? And then finally, the third and the, the partner connection question is, how do I navigate the transition from a traditional vanilla relationship into a DS one with my, my current partner? Um, so all of those, first of all, um, the first question, how do I determine if a DS relationship is right for me and my partner? Well, that one's a bit tricky because you can't decide, even if you are um, the dominant one, you're not the one that can decide for your partner if DS is right for them. You can decide if DS is right for you, but you can't, you can't make your partner kinky. You just can't. Um, they either will be or they won't be. They'll either be receptive or they won't be. Um, as for how to approach your partner about it, you do it, you know, sanely. Uh, you have a conversation. Um, perhaps watch a movie like Fifty Shades of Grey or go old school and throw in a copy of The Secretary in a VHS machine if you have one of those. Bonus points if you have it on beta. Uh, or if you even have a working Betamax player, or even if you know what a Betamax player is, maybe on Laserdisc. That's really getting old school. Anyway, um, maybe watch a movie on DS together and ask them what they think um, and start the conversation that way. Or share a article from the internet on DS and perhaps something where it talks about how DS um, can impact positively a relationship. So you want to start having a soft conversation. You don't want to come out being demanding and saying you will do, and this is where we are going to go. They have to choose it for themselves. You can't choose it for them. And you have to communicate with them, and you have to educate yourself. And try to make the education and the exploring of this Try to make it a we project rather than a you project. Do it together. Um, that really helps with the buy-in and, and perhaps generates some excitement. And if, you know, there's the old saying, sex sells. And like the one of the fun things about the lifestyle is the kind of kinky sex. Um, so maybe start with a little kinky sex, too. I mean, that kind of sweetens the deal. Um while I have been, you know, involved in lifestyle for a long time, I think a partner who came to me with a kinktastic idea would, um, or a kinktastic fantasy to try and bring to life would 
would uh, perhaps spur my interest. But that's me. I don't know what works for you, but just remember it has to be a together project and you have to educate and explore and communicate. So now we're going to get back to that phobia that, that's out there in the vanilla world about abuse, consent, and all of that jazz. Um, and it's, this one is a little simpler, I think, but it's what does consent mean within within DS? And how do you obtain it and maintain it? Um, so this is where French fries come in. If you are in a non-American English speaking area, you don't have fries. You have, is it um, chips? Yes, chips, I do believe it is. And no, I don't mean Ponch and John on their their motorcycles patrolling the highways in California, but you have your chips. Um, so for this example, if you could Americanize yourself for a minute and exchange your chips for fries, not the same thing, we're just going to call them fries um, because it's the easiest way to understand consent and really across the board, but it fits so well with the S um, is fries. It's freely given. It's reversible or revocable, whichever word you want to put in there. Anyone at any time can say no, say their safe word, use a safe gesture, and bring it all to a halt. Whatever it is, um, it's informed, meaning the people involved understand what's going on. They've educated themselves. Um, they understand if there's a risk. They understand what the risk is. And they are all informed, making informed choices. And they're enthusiastic. As I've said before, if they haven't said, hell yes, let's do it, then it's a hell no. And once again, the consent is specific, meaning, yes, you can spank me with your bare hand, but that bare hand can't touch my bare naughty bits. So it's very specific. And maintaining it through a relationship, it's a constant negotiation. Yes, as a DS relationship matures and grows, there will become things that a dominant does not have to, for example, continuously ask consent for to do. They become areas where the submissive has given their consent. And since it's, the consent has been given with fries, if, for example, that consent is to spank whenever it's obviously an appropriate venue to spank the submissive, um, the dominant say can. But let's say the spanking, for whatever reason, at that moment, the submissive is not in a place where spanking, they would want to be spanked. Maybe they have to run to the restroom. Um, they can just simply say, wait a minute, stop, or they're safe for it, run to the restroom, and then life can return to normal. But it's constantly negotiated, constantly renegotiated. There's constant communication about how you doing, even if it's not every day. Every so often, there's a communication about how are things going? What are you liking? What are you not liking? Can we add this? Can we take away that? All of that is always happening in a DS relationship. And as always, consent can be revoked for whatever reason at any point in time. So consent is, it's really fairly easy to maintain. It just takes clear communication to do so. Uh, kind of going on about that in the same area is how do I establish and communicate boundaries with my partner, um, especially when it comes to DS? Um, so with boundaries, 
my advice is always to start with them being closer or smaller. Um, and then as you perhaps develop comfort and become comfortable with your partner and build more and more trust with them, you can expand your boundaries out. But it's easier to expand out than it is to pull back and say, okay, I know we did this before, but I don't want to do it again. And then sometimes that happens. Um, you know, it can happen 15 years into a partnership where one partner is like, you know, I just, that doesn't do it for me. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, so it's something that's always in flux. Um, and the more we grow together with a partner or partners, the more our, our boundaries will kind of grow out because we're developing comfort and trust every day with them. And so it just, it's a process and it's a process that always comes through communication. It means communicating them clearly, communicating them in a way that there's no misunderstandings. There's no, oh, I thought you meant this, or I thought you meant that. There's, there's no room here for making an assumption. So when you're having those communication about boundaries, it's important if you don't completely understand things, or if there's a chance you could be assuming, you need to ask to clarify. So boundary discussions need to happen, and they need to happen in ways that are always respectful to your partner about them, and always listen, and always try to speak as clearly as you can, and be open to having them ask you questions, and, and, and definitely be open to asking them questions. Now, the next one is, which is, uh, you know, it's understandable from somebody who's new, but what are some of the common activities or practices in a DS relationship? You know, kind of what what would I be getting into and how, do, how can I explore them, you know, safely and, and responsibly? Um, so let's kind of run through the... Um, the the things that happen in a lot of DS relationships. And now these does this doesn't mean they have to happen in yours. Everyone is different. Every relationship is different. But these are some of the more common things that happen. And of course, there is probably number one is the power exchange, which is where the dominant and submissive consensually agree that a dominant is going to have kind of control or authority over a certain negotiated and consented to things in their life. The dominant is not going to thump their chest like they are some sort of superhuman and run the submissive's world completely unless the submissive and the dominant both consensually agree that that's what they want in the relationship. Um, but those are very rare, even though online it may not seem like it. The reality is they are very, very rare. Most power exchanges are very well negotiated and within a very um, within a certain, I guess we could say within a certain box, um, these, you know, these categories are put in the box that the dominant, you know, can carry that box around. And, and if it's in that box, the, the dominant can boss it around, but if it's outside of that box, it's the dominant has to stay hands off. They are just a regular relationship partner, uh, free to, free to stick their two cents in. Um, you know, that's just how people are. I, I'm the same way. I, have no problem sticking my two cents out there. Heck, you listen to this podcast. You know I don't have a problem sticking my two cents in. But in a relationship, there's that power exchange, which is consensual and happens within a negotiated consensual area. Um, another thing that is very common are protocols and rituals. 
Uh, and these are certain rules or behaviors um, that a dominant wants in a relationship and the submissive willingly consents to. Um, it can be something as simple as deciding on the honorific the dominant is going to go by. Perhaps um, it's daddy or it's sir or maybe it's master or even sometimes first names. Just the way a first name can be said can be just as powerful, if not more powerful than, you know, sir or daddy. So there are things like that. Um, of course, there is the fun and games of play, all that kinky goodness, whether it's, um, you know, a little bondage or a little impact play or a little sensory play with maybe blindfolds and ice and hot wax, whatever it is, there's the, the, the kinkastic yumminess. Um, that's the icing on the cake for some people and for other people that's their that's their goal that's why they're involved in the lifestyles because they're here for the yum and that's fabulous um and kind of also under that we just kind of talked about the the play but there's the bondage there's the impact there's the sensation play uh there's also something that if you're a newer might sound scary remember you don't have to do engage in something anything you don't want to but you will come across people who enjoy humiliation and degradation it's their jam um it's one of those there's a saying in in kink don't yuck on my yum and so it's might sound yuck if you are new but for somebody else it's yum so remember you don't have to do something that's yucky but respect that that's a yum for others then there is service um, there are a lot of uh, especially submissive submissives who enjoy acts of service. Um, these often are very domestic duties, uh, what we might think of as um, a June cleaver to uh, her ward cleaver, um, to use the old Leave it to Beaver um, TV episodes. But it's where one partner, for example, would do the laundry, take care of the house. Um, and the other partner might be the person that takes care of mowing the yard, planting the flowers, um, and working the garden. Um, it's oftentimes still kind of sexist, if you will. Um, but for in a relationship between consenting adults, if that's what works for them, once again, don't yuck on the yum. Um, another one, which is can be amazing and fun, is the orgasm and control um, orgasm control or orgasm denial, where a dominant decides when a submissive may or may not um, achieve that mighty O. And so that's, uh, for some, a fun game. Um, and then there is the folks that enjoy, as a dominant, leading their submissive to achieve their green dreams. Uh, maybe it's helping them. Um, a very common thing is, I think, most humans these days, we want to get in a little better shape. Um, so maybe it's helping your submissive um, be healthier, or maybe it's um, putting a framework in place to help them uh, better manage uh, their work-life balance because they can perhaps overdo work. Um, there's that sort of thing that happens. Um, then there is there are those who enjoy um, having a contract. You will see things online about 
you know, a submissive contract, which is kind of putting everything in writing down about the relationship. Um, think of it as if you're a fan of the TV show, The Big Bang, Coop, Big Bang Theory, Sheldon Cooper and a relationship agreement. Uh, it's the same same set of things. And then, of course, there is the most amazing part of play, and that is the aftercare, which is providing the emotional and physical support after you've enjoyed some of Kink's yummy goodness. So those are a lot of the things that you can expect to experience in a DS relationship, along with what we talked about earlier, what separates a lifestyle relationship from our vanilla ones, and that is the having the leading and the supportive partners. And also in, in within the relationship is a, is a structure that is going to be consensually agreed to um, and then upheld by the dominant partner. So that's what you can um, expect to find in a DS relationship in a nutshell without spending the next two hours talking about it. So the next question is something that's near and dear to me. And I was really kind of excited to see this keep coming up because for the longest time, I thought I was the only one. I really did. I thought I was the only one who struggled with this and I struggled with it for years. And so it was kind of, you know, I kind of felt all alone. So I was really, really excited to see it out there. And if you listen to this podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about this before. But it's a feeling of guilt or shame for having an interest in, in DS. For some reason, I felt that it was wrong. Like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't like this. That I was disappointing um, people that I cared about um, for liking this. That there was something wrong with me. Um, that, uh, in, in fact, at the time, um, the... DSM, the diagnostic book that psychiatrists used, would have classified my interest in DS as a mental illness. So it was very refreshing um, that to see that I am not the only person that was on the island of feeling guilt for liking DS, which leads to, well... How do you overcome it if you are on the uh, if you are hanging out on Guilty Island? Boy, that almost sounds like a reality show. Maybe if you have an idea that would fit fit Guilty Island, maybe we can get O.J. Simpson to host it. I don't know what we would be guilty of on Guilty Island with O.J. Simpson hosting, but boy, it sounds like a great, great million dollar idea to take on Survivor. Um, but. If you were there on Guilty Island without O.J. Simpson, we're just guilty because we, we are struggling with our interest in DS. The first thing is to educate yourself, you know, to learn more about DS. And the more we learn about DS, we're going to learn more about ourselves. And that voyage of self-discovery is going to be very key in getting our butts safely off Guilt Island. Um, it's also important to recognize that it's like having our sexuality and sexual desires and all of that stuff that's tied up in our sexuality, it's normal. Okay. It's, it's normal and we can talk about it. It doesn't have to be whispered. It doesn't have to be kept in a closet under the dirty clothes. We can, we can be open and honest and discuss, you know, all of our, all of our stuff that's about our sexuality. Um, 
And when we do feel our shame or our guilt, um, we can perhaps put on one of those cones that they put on uh, a dog when they um, perhaps have had surgery and don't want them to lick the incision, the cone of shame. Um, we, when, we're, when we're in our human adult cone of shame, take some time and talk about how we're feeling with a friend or even just engage in some self-reflection then to try and figure out what is what is causing our feeling like we're wearing that cone of shame. Uh, and then we also have to challenge the belief system that that is kind of stigmatizing us for liking this. We have to be willing to challenge that and say, you know, that's just, it's not, those beliefs don't fit me. And if you can, seek out support. The lifestyle community is incredibly supportive, but it takes you to reach out and engage with it. Um, if you are in a relationship, talk to your partner about where you're at and what you're feeling. Remember, relationships thrive with communication, even communication that's not easy, you know. Practice self-care. Be kind to yourself. Um, we can easily get down on ourselves and put ourselves down and really practice a lot of negative, negative thoughts. And so it's important that we practice good self-care. Um, and when we do start to explore the lifestyle, it's so important to go slow. Um, focus on focusing on the consent side of it. That was one of the real struggles for me was, was how can I like, for example, how can I like to spank somebody when I've been taught all my life that that is inappropriate for a man to strike a woman? Um, even if it is on their bottom with my bare hand, um, which now makes me think a clue. Is that like Colonel Mustard with the wrench in the library? Anyway, um, consent, understanding the process of consent for me was crucial in getting through it. Um, also, you know, nowadays, because we're open and talk about our feelings, including things that don't fit, Talk to, you know, talk to a provider about where you're at. You can find amazing providers that are kink-friendly or that are in the lifestyle. Um, a great resource is the National Coalition of Sexual Freedom. They have a whole list of lifestyle-friendly providers. Um, if you are in the United States or Canada, head over to their website, the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, and you will find that they can connect you to providers that can help you work through it. And when you do work through it, as and even as you're working through it, the journey is actually going to be empowering for you. Some days will be struggles, but in the overall journey, you're going to find it empowering. So that's the answer to that question. And once again, I was very happy to see that I was not on a guilty island by myself, and thankfully I was not there with O.J. Simpson, um, even though the glove didn't fit. Um, so the next question that comes up often is, what resources are available to learn about the lifestyle? And wow, think about how awesome it is now. 
this dates me, and I apologize for dating myself. But when I first came to this, there wasn't the internet. I couldn't just, well, there kind of was, um, but it was in its infancy. So it was not the wealth of information that it is now. There weren't all sorts of blogs and websites where you could find information on anything. I mean, nowadays, we can go over, we can watch a YouTube video, we can hop on TikTok and have somebody chat about what's going on in their lives. Uh, we can head over to Discord and jump into a discussion group online about the lifestyle. Or we can go over to FetLife Fet and, and go through some of the groups there and have some discussions there. We can, once again, head on over to FetLife, find an in-person event near us, take a class, go to a... Um, you know, go to a weekend retreat on the lifestyle. Uh, we can head on over to Instagram and see some posts, Facebook, Twitter, or I'm sorry, X, um, and get more information. Every, information is everywhere. In fact, the hardest part, I believe, for a person who is newer to the lifestyle now is going to be finding out whether the information they're getting is good, valid information, or if it's from some crazy person who doesn't know what they're talking about because there's so much information out there. And so I think that's the bigger problem is understanding what's good information from what's bad information. Um, so looking for good and bad information, I want to point, if you are new, um, three books. Um, they're all really easy. Gossie Easton, author and Janet Hardy is the co-author. Um, the new topping book, the new bottoming book, top and bottom. Um, you can think of those as dominant and submissive. And even if you're submissive, read the topping book. And even if you're dominant, read the bottoming book. And then finally, they also have a book called The Ethical Slut, which is um, about being poly. However, even if you're not poly, there's so much just good relationship advice in that. So if you're looking for good, solid advice, those three books would be my recommendations while you weed through blogs and podcasts. And if you're listening to this podcast, you know, thank you. Um, but there's so much good and bad. But those those three books are fantastic. And also your local in-person community is great because you're going to be able to sit down and see people face to face and have conversations with them. and. Well, some of us are better at reading people than others. Um, when we are having our, when we're getting to know people and having conversations, trust your instincts. If your instincts are telling you that this person is an idiot, believe them. Um, we want to very much override our instincts these days. Trust what we've read on the internet. You know, they've got five stars as the dominant on Yelp. Oh, well, they must be fantastic because they've got five stars on, on, on Kiki Yelp. Or I don't even know if Yelp still exists, or if it does, does anybody use it? But whatever it is, whatever the resource, you know, they're highly rated on Amazon. Just trust your gut. Trust your gut. If it says to walk away from somebody, walk away. Trust your gut. All right. Next question. How can I find like-minded individuals or a community to connect with? Um, well, we kind of talked a little bit about that in the last question, but if you are a Star Trek fan, and that would be Next Generation or Picard, um, do your Picard and say, engage. Engage with the community. The community is there. It's on Instagram. It's on Facebook. It's on X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, Tumblr, FetLife, Reddit, uh, 
YouTube, TikTok, each the the you know the online community is basically on every social media platform that there is. Big, small, home to crazy, cracked out conspiracy theories. Well, they all are, but it's everywhere on the internet. You just have to look for it. And even better, you can connect with people in your local community. Even if you're in a small town, you would be surprised and how close um, there are little called munches, which are just casual get-togethers in vanilla spaces of kinky people. Um, even small town USA has them. So you may think you're miles away, but you're really not. So engage. Get out there, engage, and you will be able to connect easily with a community. So are there any potential risks or challenges to a DS relationship, and how do you navigate them? Of course, it's a relationship. They're not easy. There's going to be challenges. You're going to have to put in work. Um, in fact, it may take even more work than a vanilla relationship because there are more layers um, to it because we're adding all of the lifestyle stuff to the relationship. Uh, five quick things that I believe will help you meet and beat those challenges. Communication, communication, communication. No. You hear me talk about communication all the time because it is so important. You have to be able to have honest and clear communication with your partners in a relationship, especially with DS. And then you have to educate yourself. You have to be able to understand the lifestyle. You have to be able to understand how this is going to work or how that works or what that means. So you have to educate yourself. And the education is continuous. It's ongoing. Every day there's new there's new ways, there's new titles, there's new, 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 new ways to do old things. Education never ends in the lifestyle, which is one of the, well, there's many things I love about it, but I love that every day there's new things to learn. Then you have to trust. You have to build trust with your partners. You have to be able to trust. And if you can't trust them or they can't trust you, it's going to end up in a fail. And you also have to be able to fully understand consent and practice it so that consent is key. And then finally, if you're built the relationship, you've got the relationship, it's going, it's going great, and it's been going for years, you still have to put in the work. You still have to do the check-ins. And every relationship is different, so there's no golden rule how often to do it. But you have to sit down and say, hey, how are we doing? How am I doing as your dominant? Or how am I doing as your submissive? Or how am I? How are we doing with this whole switch thing where I'm dominant here and you're dominant there? And how are we doing with this? What's what's working? What is, is something now maybe not working or not working as well as it used to? You have to do the constant check-ins and, and relationship tune-ups. So, yep. And, you know, just like any other relationship, there are risks. It may implode. Um, and if you don't educate and trust your partner, you can end up in a risky, dangerous situation. So it's very important to do all of those things. So the next question is, how do I negotiate and discuss my desires or my limits with a partner um, in a way that's healthy and consensual? Um, I'm sure you are ready for the number one answer or the number one part of that. Communication. We've talked about it repeatedly, so it's communication. Um, and then as you're having this discussion, make sure to define your, the, you know, everyone's role 
and the expectations that you have for that role and the expectations they have for the role and their definition. So make sure you have defined roles and what's expected is defined. Uh, make sure that everyone understands boundaries and limits. Um, it helps to set objectives. It helps to say that, you know, here are the goals that we want in this relationship and make sure our goals are achievable. Um, make sure that everyone has safe words and signals and that everyone knows what they are, knows how to use them, knows how to interpret them. Is this my safe gesture for we're getting close to me needing to stop this? Or is this my stop now gesture or word? So make sure to have those. And of course, have discussions revolving around consent. Um, understand consent. Uh, discuss aftercare. Negotiate it. Negotiation, negotiation when it comes to aftercare. Don't just assume your partner knows exactly what you're going to need after a scene. Or if those need cha needs change, make sure you communicate that. Also be patient. Uh, it's not easy. And also be understanding because your partner may not understand something you say or don't get upset because they see something differently. Um, you know, be patient, go slow, and be understanding. Uh, make sure to take the time to kind of revisit and reassess, go back over things afterwards. How did it go? What can we do better? Uh, how can we make this stronger, better? Uh, you know, if needed, you know, read a read a book together, go to a workshop, or attend an online seminar together. Keep keep learning together, um, and always always. Prioritize consent over assumptions because remember, assumptions make asses out of you and me, and we don't want to have that happen in our relationship. And through it all, be respectful of your partner. Even if they've pissed you off, take a minute, swallow your pride rather than call them, uh, you know, whatever profanities are going through your mind, disconnect the that from what is going to come out of your mouth or your fingers, depending on how you're communicating with them, and make sure that your communication is calm and respectful. All right, so how can a DS or can a DS relationship be compatible with other parts of someone's life, like career and family and exist, you know, the existing social circle? And the answer to that is absolutely. Um, this is why it's very important to have boundaries where we talked about that um, consent the box where the dominant has within that box what is consented to and what everything outside of that is is you know is a no go for the lifestyle your ds component of your relationship um fits nicely in the area where you where you've consented to it um so it doesn't have to ever come in contact with your career uh, your family your friends it can be something that can be very private between you and your partner. It does not have to have places in other aspects. And so it's important to have good boundaries. And one thing you will discover as your relationship goes on is the vanilla world will want to intrude and put pressure on it and try to shrink the size of your DS component. So as your relationship grows and matures, it'll be very important to actually make time and perhaps even schedule time for DS date night. Um, so 
yes, it absolutely can fit with everything else that you have in your life. Even if you already have a fall and busy life, it will integrate right into it. Uh, it'll just take communication and boundaries. Next question are, what are some misconceptions about and stereotypes about DS relationships? And how, what happens if somebody, either I disclose my lifestyle or somebody else finds out about it? Boy, misconceptions about DS. I believe, I know I talked about those in a podcast a little while ago. So there are all sorts of misconceptions and stereotypes out there. Um, primarily, what you're going to see is the submissives are seen as weak um, and spineless individuals when dominants are seen as abusive asshats um, is kind of how the vanilla world works with that. Now, there are a lot of other submissions. There are a lot of other stereotypes, but that's that's the that's kind of like the big elephant in the stereotypical room. Um, so what happens if you run into somebody and you need to, or they understand that you're in this relationship and they have this horrible stereotype. Um, first of all, talk with them um, about it. Don't talk at them about it, but talk with them. Um, prioritize consent. Um, consider using, rather than using dom and sub when you talk to them, um, consider going back um, to Chris Lyons leading and supportive you have a leading and supportive love relationship or our relationship is a loving leading and supportive one uh, that kind of diffuses things because you're saying loving relationship leading and supportive it really is something to consider doing um, so talk about it in terms of consent love and all the benefits how you know this works for you. Um, you're not trying to convert them. You are not one of those people that knocks on your door at Saturday morning at nine in the morning to try and get you to go um, to church with them. Um, you're not trying to, you know, convert them like that, but you're just explaining um, with kindness what is going on in your relationship. And you may not choose to have that conversation with certain people, and that's absolutely fine. You don't have to be out, if you will. You can pick and choose who knows about your lifestyle. Um, and just remember, submissive definitely does not mean weak. Um, my definition of a submissive is a strong, capable person who either has or may want, they don't have to have, um, a partner that is equally as strong. Um, submissives are very, very strong people. And as I said before in this episode, um, they're the ones in control of the relationship because they can say no. So submissive definitely doesn't mean weak. And the only time you will encounter misconceptions and stereotypes about the lifestyle, yes, you will encounter them randomly in random places, in random conversations that'll come up. But if you keep your lifestyle choices to yourself and share it with people that you trust, um, you will odds on not have to have an uncomfortable conversation about your DS relationship. Next question is um, power dynamics in a relationship in DS. Um, how does that impact the emotional connection and intimacy between the partners? And my response is if it's done right and if it's done in a healthy way, it will create 
a deeper connection and a stronger intimate bond than anyone who has not had it happen to them. Um, it'll be stronger, deeper, intense, much more intense than anything uh, a person has experienced in the vanilla world. Uh, it's why that first lifestyle breakup is horrible. It's hard, it's horrible, and it doesn't matter whether you are on the D side or the submissive side. It's hard, it's horrible, and it feels earth-shattering um, because it's really the first time we have, in my opinion, the first time we have loved um, being authentic. So it hurts, and it hurts like a motherfucker. All right, I swore again. Keep the keep the profanities going in these in these podcasts a little bit, um, but yeah, that's why you will you will see that happen, and that's why the first lifestyle breakup always always is so hard. Um, so there is that, um, and then our final question is: What are some ways that people in DS relationships maintain clear communication and, and do their best to avoid misunderstandings. Since we've talked about communication so much, I guess it's fitting we end with a communication question. And first of all, start with establishing expectations. Uh, let your partner or partners know what you expect communication-wise from them so that they can they can meet the expectations and you can understand theirs so you can meet them. It's important to be able to understand what is or is not expected of you, especially when it comes to communication. Always be an active listener. Um, it's it's a skill. It's something that we can work on. We can get better at. It's not something where you are stuck being a bad listener. Work to improve your listening skills, even if, you're, if even if you think or feel or know you are a good listener. Work to make them better. Always work to encourage openness with your partners. Make them feel safe. The safer your partner feels, the more, the, not the more, the easier it is for them to open up. If they are in, know that you have created a judgment-free zone for them, they will be much more likely, or much more likely to be able to express what they're feeling. And sometimes expressing feelings is hard. So, Having that safe, non-judgmental space really helps with that. Um, when you're discussing rules, expectations, desires, fantasies, um, be as clear and specific as possible. Because once again, assumptions make an ass out of you and me. And ambiguity, ambiguity in DS is not, it's not a fun place to sit there and wonder especially if you are taking and bringing something to life like a fantasy and you're suddenly unsure, is this okay or not okay? So when that does happen, because it will, if we're human, we don't communicate well, ask for clarification. Even if it's in the middle of playtime and you're not sure if this is or isn't okay, ask for clarification. Is it okay if I? It may not seem super sexy, but really it is to prioritize your partner enough that you want clarification that is it okay if I or I would like you to clarify. Um, also, pay attention to nonverbals. Pay attention to what your partner is saying, but they're saying it not with their words. Uh, 
learn nonverbal cues, learn, pay attention to your partner, be an active listener, and you will start to pick up and learn their nonverbal cues. Uh, of course, this goes without saying, but it needs to be said. Always, always, always use safe words and safe gestures. Always know what your partners are. Always know what yours are and practice using them. So safe words, safe words, safe words. And just like we talked about before, set aside time to have communication time. Set aside time to talk about how you're communicating. Have check-ins. How are things going? What can we do better? What are you liking? What are you not liking? What are you thinking that you want to try next? Um, set aside time. And every relationship is unique, but find whatever works for you. But make sure to set aside time to chat about that. And as we said before, avoid assumptions. Another process to consider is journaling. I'm not saying that everybody has to be, you know, Jane Austen or Ernest Hemingway, but write. Uh, maybe it's guided where everyone in a relationship, you know, they write on the same topic and then share the answers. Um, or it's very individual where you just journal your thoughts for the day or the week or whatever it is. But journaling can be a great way to express things where you take the written word and 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 put it out there and it can even whether you share it or not it can be a fabulous way to better understand yourself of course we need to be patient because sometimes our partner or partners will test that patience and i can struggle with patience i can imagine as a child I was very impatient um, around the holidays for Christmas to get there. Not so much because I was curious what gifts I would get, but because I was super excited um, to see how my family was going to react to the gifts that I got them. That was always the best part, still is the best part of the holidays. Um, when we do communicate and we're having a challenging discussion, try to use I statements rather than you statements. Um, when we say, when you do this, it sounds very accusatory, you know, like we're accusing our partner of something, which maybe if you're on Guilty Island with O.J. Simpson, there will be some accusatory statements. Uh, but in our discussions with our partner, we need to use I statements. I feel, I, you know, I, 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 it's time to be selfish. Use the I statements and save the you accusatory sounding statements for your time on Guilty Island. Um, encourage your partner to share feedback, um, whether it's how did this conversation go to how did you feel after that spanking last night? Have feedback, listen to it, be an active listener, and learn, because feedback makes us better, and we all want to be better partners. So encourage feedback and take action upon it. Um, and remember this, uh, your dominant or submissive, while with their TV package, they may have ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports. They don't have ESP, which means they can't read your mind. Don't assume your partner knows what you're thinking. Now, I know it sounds crazy. And if you were newer to DS, I get it. You're like, yeah, duh, I know that. But so often... In a DS relationship, there is such a connection. There will be times where you do know. You know exactly what your partner is thinking or you know exactly what they're feeling. So it can be something where you are going to assume that you know what that that you think that they know exactly what you're thinking or feeling. Don't. Um, verbalize it. 
talk about it. Don't ever make the uh, the mind reading assumption. And we're gonna make mistakes. We are human beings. We are mistake prone idiots at times. But mistakes are learning opportunities. We can learn from our mistakes. So when your partner screws up, which they will, they will screw up, work with them and understand that this is an opportunity to learn, to grow, to become stronger partners rather than a reason to get angry. And if you do get angry about it, get angry and get over it and get on learning from the mistake. And finally, if needed, get that relationship tuned up. Talk to, you know, talk to a provider. Work through your problems if you can. So that's the questions that have come in. I'm not sure whether exactly how how many we've gotten through, but that's that's where I guess we've gotten through the amount that I can get through on this podcast without losing my voice, but I do believe, according to my notes, that we've gotten through them. So I want to thank you for listening. And no matter what platform you are listening to this wonderful, amazing podcast on, scroll down, click the follow button, and that way you'll get notified whenever there's a new episode of Chatting with a Lightkeeper, which, by the way, will be every Tuesday morning. Uh, bright and early and a little after five New York City time. So I thank you again for listening and I look forward to chatting with you next week.